In a few short weeks, the department was able to provide close to $31 billion of stimulus funding all working 100% remote. And I think that tells the story that the department was prepared to be able to continue its mission regardless of if it was in the office or not. One of our key cloud service providers needed to upgrade one of our core hosting sites that literally has you know close to 700 servers in there. And it was done over a weekend. And we need to do it exactly for this to be ready to not only deliver the services that we deliver today, but to be able to adapt and adjust to the environment of tomorrow and whatever that brings. Federal IT has proven its value as the vital lifeline between government and citizen service during the COVID-19 pandemic. Meritalk is chronicling the untold stories of how federal IT is getting the job done and lessons for the road to recovery. Welcome to the Meritalk podcast series, CIO Crossroads, Federal IT and the COVID Crisis. Our latest chapter explores IT operations at the Department of Education. The education department's reach into all corners of the American landscape is rivaled by few federal agencies. And its mission, fostering educational excellence and ensuring equal access so that all students can reach their highest potential, helps form the very foundation of the country's future. Executing on that mission relies on policymaking, relationships with thousands of educational systems, and distribution of billions in financial assistance. When the coronavirus pandemic roared into the national landscape in mid-semester and forced schools to take online cover, the stakes could not have been higher. In an exclusive interview with Meritalk, Education Department CIO Jason Gray explains how the agency aced the pandemic test by leveraging the fruit of an IT modernization push that began in 2017. The efforts allowed the agency to move to 100% telework in a matter of days and distribute $31 billion of stimulus funding over a period of weeks. We invited Gray to school us on how his team did it. So, Jason, can you provide some metrics to illustrate the success of your work during the pandemic? What's the story in the last four months by the numbers? So, yeah, the numbers always tell, right, what what happened and how did it go. So um, in an IT organization, we we are service delivery, right? We enable people to do and accomplish their mission. And ideally, we enable it in a very good way that results in, in a very positive outcome. Literally over the last few months, just to share a few, prior to this pandemic, I would say we were averaging between 20 to 25% of our VPN utilization in terms of the whole department. After you know the COVID hit and we started working 100% telework, I will say that we're now in the upper 90s in terms of utilization, which was massive. And that, that literally happened over a weekend. Uh, now that being said, all of the buildup so that that could happen did not happen over a weekend. That was, I would arguably say, years in the making. Uh, we, in, in 2017, uh, worked very hard on a, here's our modernization strategy, here's our roadmap, here's our plan, started executing that plan. In May of last year, we finished a, a massive modernization effort that I would definitely attribute to our ability to adjust and adapt very quickly. 
Some other numbers just to share. In a few short weeks, the department was able to to provide and send out close to $31 billion of stimulus funding, all working 100% remote. And I think that it, you know, again, tells the story that the department was prepared to be able to continue its mission regardless of if it was in the office or not. Our use of online collaboration tools prior to the event, we were averaging around 60,000 calls a month. Post the event, we are on on average right now, over 370,000 calls a month. So the, the very rapid adoption and ability for our team, meaning team ed, to be able to transition to a 100% remote environment, I think is, is pretty significant. Can you share some details about managing the VPN capacity? In the process, we have not only doubled the capacity that we could have from a VPN, but also have ensured that we have a fault tolerance that would, which would actually triple the amount of VPN capacity that we could have so that if for some reason, because uh, again, I don't want to go into the details, but we certainly have uh, multiple sites that are providing our VPN uh, services. And the team, again, has done a great job ensuring that if one of those sites for some reason was not able to provide, that we could provide VPN services to the department in spite of losing an entire site if we had to. What are a couple of the largest priorities you had during the pandemic? And what are some of the largest successes? One of the things that's been great literally for about two years now is the collaboration with the education community and institutions of higher education. That is something that we had a much more active role in engaging with higher ed and the different NGOs out there to make sure that we can collaborate with them more. It was stood up in more of a a, a strategic, tactical, and operational where we wanted to establish a framework so that we had an ongoing dialogue, meaning me, my team, specifically focused on cybersecurity, but, but all things had an avenue and a framework to be able to communicate and collaborate. Tactically, we wanted to not reinvent the wheel. We wanted to figure out how do we engage with them in the committees and work groups that they already have established instead of trying to do something new. And operationally looking at how do we share best practices? How do we share threat intelligence? So I would definitely say that has been certainly in the making, but I think has been very, just a great relationship that we've had that I think is blossomed and will continue to blossom. Another would be, I was told that to implement uh, an alternate multi-factor authentication mechanism to be able to onboard people who did not have a PIV card was going to take about three months to implement. And I had a a very great conversation with my team and said, hey, three months is not going to work because literally in two weeks, we're going to be onboarding new people who will not have PIV cards and we need a solution. And literally within five days, counting the weekend, the team was able to come up with a solution that complied with our requirements in terms of a cyber standpoint, but also enabled us to continue bringing on people. In literally the last 15 weeks, the department has been able to onboard over 300 new staff as it relates to that. So we've been able to not only provision you know, credentials and equipment during this time where everyone's 100% remote. And then the last thing I would say is, it literally happened a few weeks ago now, is we needed to upgrade our cloud infrastructure. At the Department of Education, we're 100% cloud. 
but our cloud, one of our key cloud service providers needed to upgrade one of our core hosting sites that literally has, you know, close to 700 servers in there. And it was done over a weekend. In a non-cloud environment, there's no way you would have been able to, unless you had a massive amount of resources and people and time, there's no way you would have been able to do that. And literally over a weekend, everything, all of the infrastructure supporting that in terms of the, the bandwidth, the CPU, the processing power, the storage, all of that, as well as numerous security enhancements were done over a weekend. And I'm really, really proud of the team for being able to do something so massive in such a short amount of time that was 100% successful. No issues. Very proud of that. Oh, that's really impressive. So there are a lot of options for collaboration tools. Is there anything you're standardizing on or maybe have a second option in case something goes wrong? Yeah, I mean, right now we, we are standardized on two. We use Skype and Teams. Skype eventually is going to go away and be replaced by Teams. That being said, I'm very interested in, in Zoom because a lot of the education community uses Zoom. And, and we want to make sure that we can participate and have conversations on the platforms that people are using. So we piloted Zoom. I'm very impressed with it as well. That being said, we also want to make sure that we're being good stewards with taxpaying dollars and not paying for redundant capabilities that one application or a couple applications use. Are there any challenges to working with many non-federal organizations whose technology states may differ from the education departments? Does that cause problems? I mean, that's, that's a, a very complex question. What authority does the department have, right? The primary concern is, of course, with the data that we share with each of the institutions. We also care about the educational journey of every student, right? So it's not just about the data. We want to make sure that their information is protected from a technology and cyber standpoint. So this is why I was saying the relationship that we have created, and it's not just with the institutions. Yes, we have relationships with over 6,000 institutions of, of higher education but it's also the, the groups and the non-government organizations that engage with them as well. Also, the, the, the partnership of let's share best practices, uh, both way, bi-directional. It's not just the government saying, hey, this, this is what you need to do. It's we have certain requirements that you know, NIST gives us and FISMA gives us that we have to do. And sharing best practices with them, I think, has been very helpful to the education community and certainly it helps me sleep easier at night knowing that, okay, we're, we're sharing that information, but also connected with them and knowing, you know, what their challenges are as well, because we, we all face very similar challenges. Yeah, that's great. Are there any particular systems that work best for you or any broader lessons that those have yielded? So there's, there's a lot. I could easily say almost everything, but just to kind of narrow that down, I think one of the, the greatest lessons is how critical IT modernization is. In 2017, when we put together our roadmap for IT modernization, and which literally took a lot of time to understand everything and start figuring out what are the things that we're gonna to do to rationalize, to consolidate, what makes sense, and what are the things that we can do right away versus you know, our more longer term. But there was a plan, there is a plan, there's a plan we're executing against there's a 16-foot diagram that I've talked about before that literally maps out exactly what we're going to do in the things that we're, we're planning on doing. Last year was very brutal for us. We were transitioning off of a 12-year-old legacy IT contract, which resulted in the department modernizing and upgrading literally everything. 
meaning we, we have no Windows 7, where I believe we were one of the first agencies to transition 100% to Windows 10. Very proud of the team. But I, I say this in terms of a lessons learned. You know, it's really when you're trying to convince people that, hey, we need to invest in this is really important when everything's working. If everything's working, it's, it's like, okay, so why do we need to do this? And we need to do it exactly for this to be ready to not only deliver the services that we deliver today, but to be able to adapt and adjust to the environment of tomorrow and whatever that brings. Because literally a year ago, there's no way I was thinking that we we're going to be in a situation of a global pandemic and everyone's going to be have to be 100% telework. And here we are. So I think that is certainly um, one of the, the lessons learned for me is how important and critical this is something you know, but now we have like clear empirical, here's a really good reason why. Another thing that I would talk about is in terms of lessons learned, supply chain has been very insightful as well, because when, and just to use an example that I think most people can relate to, we are used to being able to go to a grocery store and get some toilet paper or hand sanitizer. Supply chain is absolutely critical, especially when you're delivering IT services and you need to make sure that you have devices that you can provide and provision. The IT service providers that we have have been great and we've been able to get the equipment we need when we need it. It's one of those things that from a lessons learned, it's like, okay, that's something that uh, in terms of timelines, the, the just-in-time delivery of service is something that a, a global pandemic can impact. And that's something I'd probably have done maybe a little bit differently in terms of maybe had a little bit more on stock so things wouldn't have been as close. Yeah, that makes good sense. So how long did it take education department personnel to get up to speed with telework? That's a great question. And, and I would say uh, two days. And j just to give you some, some again, metrics, uh, when suddenly we had to transition to 100% telework, my biggest concern was help desk, right? Because how many people are going to be inundating the help desk? We definitely saw a spike in the help desk. Again, maybe to be a little too transparent, but our average speed to answer the service level agreement that we have is 30 seconds. I believe on day one, our average speed to answer was 55 seconds. By day three, our average speed to answer was 14 seconds. And it's been consistent. How many people are you supporting at the Department of Education? On average, we have around 5,000 employees that are coming in through our environment. So by now, the COVID-themed phishing attacks during the pandemic is pretty well known. What's keeping you up at night regarding the cybersecurity threats? Well, cyber is something that we're always going to be worried about. I mean, I, I think about it every day. If anything is going to keep me up at night, it is cyber, for sure. It is a constant challenge. So I, I don't think there would ever be a time where I would say we have our arms around it fully because it will change the moment we feel like we do. Yeah, we are seeing an increase in the number of SMS attempts or phishing attempts to, to exploit the pandemic. That is something we have definitely seen. Another thing that, that literally keeps me up at night is, is insider threat. And I know there's different types of insider threat, you know, the inadvertent, the malicious, and then perhaps someone who is compromised unknowingly and sharing, which is why education is so important. It's why having processes in place is really important. To me, the, the key is education. It's making sure people understand roles, responsibilities, and what they're obligated to do. I often look at it like, like when we go to the airport, if you see something, say something. Jason, if you could travel back in time to four months ago, with the experience you have today, 
What advice might you give yourself? I think I've already hit on, on some of it. You know, modernization is absolutely critical and important. It plays a critical role because while I attribute uh, a significant amount of the department's success is because of the work that we had done literally over the last couple of years. So uh, I think that if I could rewind, that would be absolutely critical. I would also focus on the supply chain and making sure that we had alternates in play. Another thing I would focus on is perhaps over-communicating and letting people know, hey, this is what's going on. Again, if I could rewind, uh, I feel like, you know, people take for granted the, the services that you get or the services that are available because they're used to doing it a certain way. So I would probably end up spending a bit more time on making sure that people understand what is out there and what's capable. Can you tell us about collaboration within the government during the pandemic? Information sharing and best practices exchanged both within the CIO Council as well as your IT teams. Is there any way that could be improved? That's tough because I will tell you that I have been extremely impressed with the collaboration and partnership. Suzette from the CIO Council, federal CIO, has been phenomenal. Literally, the CIO Council, the recurring meetings that we have had have been great. And this is something that started before the pandemic hit. But the collaboration in the the CIO Council, I have not seen better. Uh, It has been great knowing that if I needed something from anyone or if they needed something from me, that that relationship was there, that partnership was there, knowing that you're not alone trying to figure out how do I run this. If you have challenges, when Maria was over at SBA, it was like, hey, if I need something, I know that she's there, or Gundeep at Labor, or Renee at NASA, or David at GSA. I mean, literally the collaboration and partnership there. I'm not really sure there would be a way to do it better. Even the transparency about you know, challenges and how do we overcome this and lessons learned. It has been not just the CIO Council, even the CISO Council has been the same. My CISO is the co-chair of the CISO Council, Stephen Hernandez, and same exact thing. It's like everyone partnering together to ensure that the government would have no issues continuing as it relates to, you know, cybersecurity or IT services in general. So, yeah, that's great to hear. So I want to switch gears here just a little bit. Can you take us back to the start of March and what your typical day looked like? And how have things changed since then? Do you feel fully entrenched in this new normal world now? If I went back, it's, it's literally the unknowns, which in IT you're always going to have. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to prepare for the unknown. I mean, that's what we do every day. But uh, we're definitely entrenched with the new way of doing things. So I feel like in terms of the way that things have, have changed, I'm not entirely sure from an IT service delivery standpoint, they've changed much aside from everyone leveraging certain services that perhaps they would have received in a different way, i.e. the VPN, uh, and then some of the collaboration tools that we leverage being used a lot more. I, I think the first few weeks, a lot of it was making sure that you know, we didn't have any issues and we were able. I know from a, just from a, a people standpoint, communicating and making sure that people understand that it's okay to have regular work hours meaning that just because you're at home doesn't mean you have to work all of the day and all of the time. That yes, at four or 4.30 or whenever your time ends, it's perfectly okay to, to disconnect. And because I feel like initially a lot of people wanted to like, well, gosh, I'm at home. And you know, people who perhaps didn't telework normally weren't used to the, 
you know, being connected 100% of the time and realizing that, no, you're, you don't have to be connected 100% of the time. So that was something that early on we watched very closely because I wanted to make sure that I didn't have anyone on my team who was putting in more time than they should have because it, you know, people got used to it. And that's something I heard literally in numerous calls, even across government of, yeah, I didn't realize how, how often we'd be working and how connected we are. So that's something that I'm glad we paid attention to early. Uh, but I think it was, it took some adjusting for people to get used to being at home connected working, but realizing and being okay with, hey, it's okay, you're, you're not at work anymore. <laughs> you talked about getting the help desk response down to 14 seconds and rolling out a brand new MFA solution in five days instead of three months. Are there any other compelling real world stories of success you can share? Again, just a few weeks ago, doing the a complete cloud upgrade over a weekend that is like, I'm not sure I could top that. That involved a lot of people because we have a lot of system owners who own systems that are in those environments and everyone working on the weekend to make sure that, you know, test and validate and make sure that everything was working. But, it, and again, it was a remote digital environment that I thought was just amazing to see everyone come together to get something done in a weekend that, that would have normally taken days, weeks, or even longer. Would you like to give any shout outs to members of your team at the Department of Education or other folks within government? So I, the, the list is really long. I mean, I, I will say from the moment the secretary has been at the department, she has been 100% supportive of, of IT, deputy secretary, all the assistant secretaries, my team. I have an amazing deputy. Her name is Ann Kim. And my division directors are amazing all of the employees, everyone is, is 100% invested in making sure that we provide the best services we can. So I will say in the department, the collaboration, you really feel like a part of a family. So I, I love that. Even across, as I mentioned earlier, Suzette Kent has been great. The whole CIO council has been very responsive. Even the engagement with the vendor community, even vendors that we do not currently leverage, has really, was, was like awe-inspiring for me on, oh my goodness, we have all these people who are really focused on how can we help you versus how can I create business? And that was amazing because I would definitely like to thank the vendor community because it showed the real passion and drive for what they want to do to really help uh, not only government, but this country as a whole. Jason, what do you think might change in government or in society because of the pandemic? What will we do that's new and what might we stop doing? So that, that's a, an interesting question. And I, I think it's a little early to tell. Um, but some of the things that I think that come to my mind is the uh, adoption of digital services and changing the way that we not only deliver services, but also receive services. I think about, you know, whether it's, and again, I'll just use education as an example. Um, being able to transition to from an in-class environment to a remote environment, I think is going to be, it, it's, it's certainly been all over the news and, and a real challenge that, that I think the world has been coming to terms with. So I think going forward, that's going to be really key. It's been great to see the various approaches that people are taking, whether it's a hybrid approach where you have some in-class, some online, and then you alternate so that you can maintain social distancing. So I think the agility and the ability to adopt to digital services is going to be absolutely critical. I think even digital signatures is an example. I mean, government has really been focused on you. we need a wet signature. 
I think this has been great in that, you know, a, a digital signature that is verifiable is just as good as a wet signature. So I think that is certainly something that hopefully we'll never have to go back to. Everything needs to be a, a wet signature, but that has been, it has been great. Another thing that in my mind is this demonstrates and shows that what a bunch of, you know, dedicated, passionate, skilled people can do in a time of crises, because I have been in awe of what the government has been able to do during this pandemic. I think a lot of people talked about, well, we prepare for this, we do this so that we have continuity. And it has been really wonderful to see on a technology side, how efficient and effective that preparation all came into play, the modernization came into play as it relates to being able to adapt to the, the unexpected. Again, you know, planning and preparing. So the one thing I'm very proud of, again, is my team so that I know that whatever the future brings, we'll be able to handle because time and time again, we prove that. And I think government as a whole does that as well. How do you think you and your team are going to function in a world without conferences? How do you envision the future of interacting with industry at trade shows or conferences? I, I, think, I think we'll be fine. The ability and the, the, the tools that we have available out there to do meetings even like this, uh, is it the same as being in person? Not exactly. It's different. But I, I, I want to share what's been very fascinating. I'll just two examples, uh, one that's specific to work and the other that is more is separate. But the first example that comes to mind, we had an all staff meeting a couple of months ago. We have quarterly all staff meeting. And this was the first time it was 100% remote. So it was different. I was wondering, well, how is it going to be? Part of our all staff meeting, we usually will talk about, you know, the great work that people have done and we'll recognize people. And what was fascinating to me is when we do that in person, you know, people will applause and clap and, and it's done and you move to the next. And what was really neat is the engagement when you, you know, have everyone clapping, that's one thing, but when you have the individualized great job, you know, hey, you know, way to go from, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, it's very different. It gives a very different feeling that you don't get in a room crowded full of people. And then the, the second example I'll give is my high school graduate who just went through a, a senior graduation virtual, which I was wondering, okay, how is this going to go? What was very fascinating, I thought, very great, uh, is it was individualized. They did little video clips and, you know, parents had to hand their, their certificates to the student. And in some cases, uh, people got very creative and had like their dogs and pets and theirs and jumped into swimming pools. And they did a bunch of things that in a normal meeting environment and setting, you would not be able to see. So I think it gives a, a much more personalized feel than when you're in a meeting. I think that is going to add a more human element and not so this is business, this is professional. And it is business, it's professional, but, but we're all people. So I, I think there, it, it's going to have a very positive effect on the way that we do things. I think we'll eventually get to the point where people will have in-person. But I know for me, it's been wonderful to see how technology has been used to have large meetings, uh, sometimes over a couple thousand people, and still have that feeling of, of being an active participant in the meeting. Today, we've been talking with Department of Education CIO, Jason Gray. Jason, 
We appreciate your willingness to share the department's COVID-19 story. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for joining Meritalk's podcast series, CIO Crossroads, Federal IT in the COVID Crisis. We hope you'll continue to join us as we take a look at Federal IT's reaction to the crisis, the challenges faced along the way, and, ultimately, the success stories that have kept America rolling.